2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death of Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and tonight's podcast was recorded tonight. I'm recording this intro at night, but uh, this mug was recorded, I think, not too long ago, last week. And I am sitting here in Tennessee. I just moved to Tennessee. It's kind of crazy. And the podcast that I recorded is with Grace. I don't know how to say her last name, but on social media, she's the old Grace is dead. And uh, she's in Tennessee too. She's on the other side of the state. But I'm really, really excited for you to hear this podcast. Before we get into the podcast, I want to make sure you know what we're doing. We have the Death of Life Bible Study. That's Tuesdays at 1.30 Central. Um, we have the uh, Love Reality Facebook group. Hit that up. Love Reality Facebook group. There's so much stuff going on there. New wine all the time. People getting a revelation of what the scriptures are saying. We've got um, lovereality.org. Watch Wave 1. Do the steadies. Check them out. And then uh, see what we're doing on Instagram. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot more stuff upcoming. Uh, Really excited uh, about the content that we have coming up. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And now for this podcast, I want to make sure that you understand that this is not an episode that is for kids at all. So if uh, if you're in charge of that, and I just want to make sure you know that this episode has got a lot of uh, adult themes, meaning there's just some, some very serious stuff in it. But there's so much life in it, and I just loved... Uh, just loved hearing Grace's story. Maybe you've heard it before on YouTube or I I hadn't before. So it was all new to me. Uh, So I'm excited for you guys to hear this story. So much life. Um, And that all being said, uh, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? Sigue, 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 sigue
Where does the old grace, where does the old grace, where does she start? When you think about the old grace, what's the first thing that comes to mind in how you used to think about the gospel, God, in your life? Talk to me about old grace. May she rest well, in peace. old grace, <laughs> well, the old grace, uh, you wouldn't have liked her very much. Um, the old grace thought she was a good Christian, had this uh, performance mindset. Um, thinking that, you know, Jesus has died for me. Now, he did all these things. Um, Now it's my job to thank him for what he's done, to go live a great life and ministry and be a witness and let my light shine before those in public school, because that's what I attended. Um, You're going to go win souls. And, you know, I need to live a certain way um, to show others that like, this is what a Christian life looks like. And this is what your life can be too, if you choose to believe in Jesus. And um, in my mind at that time, the gospel pretty much was like, well, you were a sinner and you know, you kind of sucked. So Jesus needed to come and die for you because you couldn't get your life together. And now that Jesus has died for you and, and you're forgiven, now you need to not mess up anymore. Um, which actually isn't really that great, great of news, even though I thought that was the good news. Um, so, but that's what I, that's what I was living under. Where, where did this pressure come from? Do you think, like, this pressure to, you said you went to public school and you were going to change the the whole school. Like, where did, where did you get that pressure from? Um, well, I was, you know, raised Christian, raised in an Adventist home. Um, my dad was a pastor when I was little and, you know, he works for the Columbia Union now. Um, so I kind of felt like, you know, in a sense that more eyes were on me and that I needed to not bring shame to the family or whatever. And I've always just kind of had a performance mentality in everything. I did sports growing up and I always wanted to be the best. You know, I same thing with academics, always had to get straight A's. So that kind of mentality just kind of filtered over into my spirituality. It was like, well, if you're not the best, then like, what even are you? If you're not first, I was going to be like the best Christian. You're last, Ricky Bobby, right? If you're not first, you're last. Maybe you don't know that. You know what? I was talking to my my wife and I were talking the other night and my daughter is so sweet. And I'm always, because I love how sweet she is, I'm always saying like, baby, you're so sweet. And then sometimes I'll be like, baby, are you going to stay sweet? Because I get, I'm afraid that like something's going to happen. You know, she's getting older that she won't be sweet anymore. So I'll say stuff like, baby, are you going to stay sweet? Will you stay sweet for, for me? And my wife said something the other night and she's like, Richard, if you keep positioning her like that, her sweetness is who she is. Like if then then she's going to try to stay sweet for like some performance thing so that that she'll earn it mm. and like that'll be like like you're kind of putting that on her and i was like oh shoot like i was kind of just thinking about that like maybe i am putting that on her so i pulled her aside i think it was yesterday and i was like baby i love you i love that you're sweet but your sweetness has nothing to do with me loving you do you know that and like, she's looking at me like, why are you saying this? Like, she doesn't understand this stuff. Like, why are you saying this? But I don't want 
her performance to be tied to anything of like love and affection from her parents. Like I really am trying to make that point because like, and if I'm hearing you correctly, I don't think anybody put this on you on purpose, but getting good grades, being a good kid, like your performance was like, it meant like value to you. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I guess I was looking for a way to find value and like validation and affirmation that I was good enough. And performance was definitely a one of those ways that I went for that value. So for the most part, were you good enough? Uh, yeah. I mean, for, you know, up until a certain point, you know, uh, the thing with like these, these counterfeit ways of finding value is that like the devil lets you do well so that you continue to like to look for it in that area until it all crumbles beneath your feet and then let, he lets, tries to let you drown and sink. So, I mean, yeah, I was really good at sports, really good at school. Um, I thought I was being a really good Christian um, until high school when, you know, puberty happened and boys. And then that's when it all began to crumble beneath my feet. <laughs> so boys, man, this is a nightmare. Um, you you start thinking, oh, I'm attracted to boys and I want them to be attracted to me. Like, how did this start playing out with your value? And what did you believe about yourself in, you know, with how it was going with, oh, I like this guy. Does he like me type thing? Uh, Well, I mean, it was very complicated because you know, one of the ways that I measured my performance was in sports. So I was huge into sports most all my life. Um, definitely considered myself um, what some people call a tomboy, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I have all guy cousins and I have a brother, so I'm the only girl in the family. So I always kind of wore like guys clothes, had a short haircut, um, you know, because it was easier for playing sports and whatever. But then high school happened and I was like, oh, but boys now, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you see all these pretty girls, like, their long blonde hair and, like, their skirts and everything. And I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't look like them. I don't, I'm not, you know, having guys interested in me because they all want to be with the pretty girls. And, like, I knew, I was like, um, I don't know if I can, like, be really good at sports and have that as my identity as, like, the athletic one and also get the attention of guys at the same time. So it was very confusing. And also compounded with that like purity was something that like was very important to me from my christian side um you know had been to lots of those purity seminars um you know like every good adventist has been to several of those when they were younger (laughs) and like i made the decision (laughs) i made the decision um for me when i was like 13 that like i was gonna wait till marriage and it was something that like my parents didn't like talk me into it was something that like i wanted like i was Mm -hmm. like yes this is like what good christians do and like this is really important so like i kind of had all of these different things kind of pulling me and i was like i didn't really know who i was i didn't know my value because i was trying to get it from being a good christian but like you can't be a really good christian and get guys interested because they want to like do stuff right and i can't like identify myself as the athletic one but then also look pretty for the guys and it was just very hard i felt pulled in all different directions um, because I was trying to get my value from something else instead of like already having it within, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how did that, what did you decide? Were you going to be the, the athletic girl? Were you going to be the purity girl? Were you going to be the, 
were you going to just scrap all that and just get the guys? What what did you end up deciding? Or did you not end up deciding anything and it just w- went went how it went? <laughs> um, it's funny because looking back, like sometimes I read through my old journals because I've kept a journal since I was little and it's quite funny uh, to read through sometimes. But like I tried to like chameleon myself into all of them as much as possible. So I stayed doing sports but just kind of adapted the sports that I did. So like, for example, in like my freshman, sophomore year, I was doing wrestling and football and then realized like that isn't helping like the guys be interested because that makes me like more one of the guys. So then I was like, okay, let's do like volleyball and like cheerleading and track because those can be girly. Wait, hold on. There was girls wrestling and girls football at your public school? No, but Title IX... If there's not a female equivalent of the sport, they have to let girls try out. So I was on the boys' team. You wrestled other boys, and you were playing (laughs) pads, tackle football? Yes, I was. Were you pretty good? That would have been exciting. Were you pretty good? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I was just as good as everyone else. Wow. But then you're just like, this... Girls mature faster. Yeah. And you're like, this may not be it. Well, it wasn't helping my image, so to speak, right? Because guys didn't view me as, like, a girl they'd want to be interested in. They were questioning, like, is this girl straight? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, anyway. Yeah, so, switched switched my tactics, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do cheerleading, volleyball, track, because those are, those are, like, more girly sports, but I can still, you know, do sports. And then, like, with the purity thing... I was like, okay, well, I just won't, like, have sex, right? I'm just going to draw the line and, like, I'll do other stuff mm-hmm. before that. So I'm still, like, pure technically, right? But, like, I won't cross this line. And so, like, I was trying to just, like, compromise as much as possible, like, to order to kind of fit all of it, if if that makes sense. Uh, and sometimes, like, I would go one way too far and then try to, like, bring back. I was I was basically exhausted um, trying to scramble, finding my worth and everything, trying to win the most athletic award for my school, also while trying to get a boyfriend and also trying to not lose my, like, Christian card at the same time. So when you would make compromises on physical stuff with boys and while at the same time having this whole purity thing, did guilt start messing with you or were you just like, nah, like it's not the whole, it's not everything. It's just something. And like, that's a really gray area. How did you, how did you deal with all that? Oh man. Like I, I'm a definitely like what person that always feels guilty about things. So like, man, like guilt and condemnation became like, really strong for me right around this time because even though I had like drawn a line I'm like okay I'm not going to cross this I still felt like really bad about everything else just because like I knew deep down that this wasn't like this I couldn't have verbalized this back then but like somehow I knew that like I was finding loopholes if that makes sense that I was more following like the letter of the law than the spirit of the law and it's like oh well I'm just not going to do that so everything else is fine it's like no like the point of being pure isn't like to just not cross a line like purity isn't a line that you cross it's a direction that you run to right and I definitely wasn't doing that so like I knew something was wrong and I felt terrible about it but like I didn't know really what to do about it so it just felt kind of dishonest to you and even if you would explained it to somebody you would have been trying to convince yourself 
Yeah, and it didn't help that most of my friends were from public school, and so they didn't have a concept of purity, and they were always encouraging me to, like, go all the way anyways. And, you know, I was the weird one and the naive one who didn't, like, do all the stuff that everyone else was doing anyway. So it was just hard. I didn't feel like I had much direction or much support during that time. That sounds that sounds pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very confusing. Yeah, it was, it was a hot mess. I was a hot dumpster fire every time, so. Yeah, well, you're trying to figure out, like, there, this this moment in life where you're trying to, I mean, I, I've worked in a, in high schools for the last five, six years, and you see these sweet little freshmen, and they're in the same school as these seniors, and they're completely different worlds. So you're just trying to, oh, God. you're just trying to figure it out and then there's all this all sorts of other confusion and then sex stuff starts happening and that gets that's just like throwing a curveball into your dumpster fire of trying to figure <laughs> all this out and then the guilt and the shame and the condemnation yeah and i ma- imagine just you know a freshman girl surrounded by a bunch of senior boys and it's like they're full grown men like and you're just like ah what do i do you know and you want them to like you cuz you look up to them yeah yeah. So how did this this play out? You're 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 going down the purity thing and you're making, you know, compromises and you're not feeling awesome about it, but you're not really you don't know what to do. Uh what what happens because of this? Like Well, this is where the story gets interesting. So buckle your seatbelts <laughs> and tune in. Um so I had a mentor um at my school. Um a teacher at the school who was also my tr- my coach, one of my coaches for one of my sports I was in. And I started coming to him and started talking to him about the various boy issues I was having. Um, and I guess over time, like, I started viewing him as, like, a, a father figure in a way um, because he was, like, my, my confidant. I would kind of just open up to him about everything. And I guess part of me, you know, I hate to use the word like daddy issues because it sounds so cliche, but I guess part of me did have some of that because my dad was, was gone a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, he was traveling, doing stuff with the church. And so there was a period of time in my life where he was like living in a different area from me. Um, and so like he wasn't around a lot. And so I, I, my mom tells me, I don't really remember a ton, but like she tells me that I would gravitate towards older male figures a lot hmm. um, to kind of like, I guess, receive attention in that area. And I feel like I was definitely doing some of that um with this teacher in school. And at some point I started having like a huge crush on him, you know, and, you know, I never thought anything would come of it because, you know, like, you know, kids have crushes on their teachers all the time, but it's kind of like having a crush on a celebrity, you know, like you don't ever expect Brad Pitt to like, like you back, you know, it's like, you never expect anything. Um, but then like one day, like the vibe started changing and I realized that like he was starting to get interested in me and I also had no concept at this time that that wasn't appropriate. I was just like super thrilled that like he would like me because in my mind, this was like the most validation and affirmation I could ever receive that like this full grown man, like thinks there's something special in me and likes me. And I was just like over the moon, you know, I was like, I had kind of put him in the spot that only God should be where I was like looking to him for guidance, looking to him for like, you know, friendship, companionship, like, uh, affirmation, validation, value, all of those things. And so like 
when he started showing interest back in me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Let's not lose this. Uh, I can see where this is heading and I'm just getting sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, do, Do you feel like he understood what was going on? Or do you feel like that you, like, because you had built up this friendship with him and this rapport and, and you had put them on this, at this pedestal that, um, that, that that's why he started looking at you in a different way? You know, I don't really know. Um, I've, you know, thought about it a lot over the years. Um, I mean, I felt at the time that he was like the one person that understood me. You know, because, like, I shared with him everything. Like, I didn't really have girlfriends too much, um, like, friends that I would talk to. And he was just kind of, like, my go-to person for everything. So, like, I would tell him about my problems with boys. And he would always encourage me to, like, you know, I didn't really talk to my parents about that stuff. I mean, what teenager wants to talk to their parents about this kind of stuff? So I talked to him. And, you know, I told him that it was really important to me to wait till marriage uh, to have sex. And he always would like encourage me saying like, you know, that's awesome. You know, there's not that many girls your age that care about that sort of thing. And so like, I felt like he really valued me as a person. So then, uh, so what happened? Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So I became acutely aware eventually of the fact that like, I was a child, essentially, and he was, like, a full-grown man, and rather than, like, ringing alarm bells that this was a problem, I was like, oh, man, like, I can't lose this, like, I have to make sure to keep him, so to speak, like, I realized that, like, you know, he's had way more experience, like, with dating and romance than I ever had, you know, like, and I was like, I don't want him to to realize I'm, you know, just a baby and that not good enough for him and then lose interest and move on. So like, I started having like this, this tension of like, okay, like I know that he's probably going to like want or expect sex, but you know, he also knows that I don't want to do that. But like, also this is really important to me, but I also like don't want to lose him. So it would be like this swirl of like pressure and tension and confusion. So it, it, Um, there's a point that it just made a move like you just jump to like he's going to expect sex it made a move from like a mentor mentee relationship into something else it just naturally through the flow of time there was never like a decision like i really i really value you it just kind of just went where it was going and there was nothing you could do I to mean, stop obviously it this didn't happen overnight right this didn't happen like overnight like it was a slow thing like you know it first started with you know, us hanging out and talking after class, then like coming to him during my lunch break and then me staying after school and then like texting each other and then like sending emails and then like, you know, going out and meeting out after school. And then like, so lines started just blurring slowly over the course of time. And then, you know, same thing with like physical boundaries, stuff started slowly. It wasn't like overnight this happened. Like, you know, it started small, like with just like some, you know, like hands on the shoulder, hands on the low back, and like then moved to kissing the other things. And like, you know, we had crossed like all the, we had done like all the things that I had like been like, okay, well these are okay. And like, it just became to a point where I was like, okay, like I can't like keep holding him off with just this for so much longer, you know, in my mind, like he never said that, but like in my mind, I was like, you know, he's 34 and I'm in high school. And I, it just like, I felt the pressure in my inside myself. Mm. And so you're realizing that he's going to want something else. Yeah. Did you make a decision? And so, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, one night I remember like 
It was yesterday. It was January 7, 2011. He had actually come over to the house, my house when my parents were gone, and like wanted to sleep over. And I kind of knew what that meant. You know, I was I wasn't naive enough to know that like what that meant. Um, so I was like, okay, like what am I gonna do? Like I have to make a decision. And I like I remember like thinking like, okay, well I'm. I remember like I I agreed to it. I was like, okay, this is just what we're gonna do. Like this is what I have to do to like keep him because like I I loved him like like he had become like God to me in a sense like I was like imagining our lives together I was like we're gonna get married like all this stuff like we're gonna have kids have a family like that's where my mind was I was like well it's not so wrong if if you love each other and it's not so wrong if we're gonna get married anyways and like you know that's my teenage girl like mentality about it I'm so sad (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sad I'm so sad okay then we're gonna get to um so then the next day are you back with or is the guilt heavier is it just the heaviest or were you like oh i'm surprisingly i surprisingly don't feel terrible like what what? no it was bad um (laughs) yeah the next morning the morning after like i felt like shattered like i i knew that like i had crossed a line I felt like I had committed like the unpardonable sin. Like kind of, I just kind of got that, like that message growing up from like all the purity seminars I'd gone to. It's like, you could be a drug addict. You could like be a murderer and Jesus can redeem you. But if you have sex, you're never getting your virginity back. And that's it. And you're going to be a, a, you know, a used dirty present for your husband to open one day and no one's going to love you. And I was like, Oh, I've committed the unpardonable sin, you know? And like, I felt like a planet just kind of knocked out of orbit. Like I didn't know who I was, what I was doing. I tried to like make myself feel better by saying like, Oh, well, you know, like he must love me because he knows I wasn't wanting to do this unless we're, you know, like I was married. So like, he must be wanting to marry me too. And like, you know, I had a purity ring and everything and like I gave it to him and took it off. And like, it was this whole thing. Wow. So at this, but are, did you really believe like you and him were going to be a thing for a while? Were you like thinking like, how were you thinking like at the future, like how are we going to navigate like becoming like a real item in the eyes of like the public? Like what were you thinking about the future? Yeah. So obviously we had to keep it a secret because it was very illegal. <laughs> so, like during, like I, we couldn't like act like a we were together in school because he would get fired and lose his job. So like the whole thing was like we had to keep it secret, which is also very stressful to me because he made it clear like if I were to slip up or like if I were to let anyone know or make a mistake, like he's going to lose his job, go to jail, and then like we could never be together. So like felt this pressure all the time to never like let anyone know what was going on and felt very stressed about that. But like we had this plan you know, like when I graduated, you know, when I turned 18 and then no one could say anything and we could be together then. So I just had to wait until then and like hold it together until that point. So did, did nobody in your life know, like this was just like the secret that you were holding heavy secret. Yeah. Nobody knew about it. I couldn't exactly like go to the guidance counselors at school and talk to them about it. You know, like again, he would lose his job. I couldn't talk to my friends because I couldn't I didn't really have a ton of friends my age, and also I couldn't trust that they wouldn't say something. Obviously, didn't want to talk to my parents about it, and so like it was just me carrying all of this. So, you said when you graduated. So I'm thinking this is your junior, senior year, some somewhere near there. 
Yeah, this was this all happened in my my senior year. So, did something happen before you graduated, or did you graduate and have expectations? Like, how did it go? Yeah. So, adding more interest to the story, um, after you know we had had sex that first time in January. This is January before my my graduating year. So we I would have graduated in May, or I did graduate yeah. in May. Um, I started feeling kind of sick, uh, and I thought maybe I had the flu because it was winter. Um, come to find out, I in fact did not have the flu, but I actually was pregnant, and that was a shock to me because I was like, "How did I go from being the sweet, innocent one that everyone thought would like maybe die a virgin to now I'm like a statistic pregnant in high school, right?" And so obviously. Didn't have anyone to, anyone to talk to about it. So the only person I could talk to was Mr. Teacher Man. And I was like, hey, so um, I'm pregnant. And, and I was like, but it's okay because, you know, I'm going to graduate in May. And, like, no one will have to know. And then, you know, it's fine. We can just get married and have our baby. And it's going to be great and wonderful. Wait, let me ask um, you this question. When you took the pregnancy test, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm I'm visually thinking about this, like, when you saw that, in fact, you were pregnant, what were you just like? Yes, no, oh my goodness! Like, what was the the thought process like? Yeah, so it was a roller coaster of emotions. At first, I was freaked out. I was like, "How did this happen?" Like, well, obviously, I knew how it happened, but I didn't think it would happen like after my first time. Right? That was like my luck. I also trusted him that he knew what he was doing because I don't know anything about sex. I don't know anything about contraception. And I figured him being, you know, 34 year old guy, that he would know what he's doing. So I kind of left that up to him. And apparently that didn't work out. So at first I'm freaking out thinking like, how am I, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my parents? This is going to be terrible. But then I was like, you know what? It's fine. Like, I like, I'm going to love this baby. Like, you know, I've always wanted to be a mom. Like we're going to get married. and It's going to be great. And like, so I kind of like, it was just this roller coaster of emotions. Um, yeah, and so like when I told him about it, uh, he wasn't exactly thrilled. Um, so he was like, before I could even get out my plan of like saying like, oh, no one's gonna know, and like, you know, whatever. Um, he was immediately like, oh, well, we just need to take care of it. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean we're gonna take care of it? Um, and what he meant was that like we can't have this baby. You're gonna have an abortion, and like that wasn't even on my radar of things to even consider because, like to me, like you know, I always believe that like abortion is murder. Like you know, I believe that life begins at conception, and that like you don't do that, right? And I was like, obviously, yeah, it's inconvenient, and this isn't like the timing I would have chosen, but like this is the consequence for what we did, and like now you gotta own it. And like I was like, in my mind, it was still gonna be fine because we had planned on getting married anyways. And so I was like, I didn't understand why he felt the need to do that. And I, I was like crushed, you know, because I didn't want to have to do that. Um, but he, his whole thing was like, well, look, if people find out you're pregnant and you're going to begin to show, like people are going to find out about us and then I'm going to get fired and lose my job and go to jail and then we can never be together. So like, again, the, the onus was put on like, we're not going to be able to be together if you keep it. You know, so I was like, now I was forced into this decision of like, okay, do I keep the baby or do I keep my relationship with him? Sort of, sort of thing. Did he leave it up to you or was he like, this is, this is what we're going to do? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess technically like the decision was mine, you know, because like the, like it's always the woman's choice, I guess, so to speak. But at the time I really didn't feel that way. 
um, I mean, he was my teacher, you know, and like, I'm the student, like I'm used to raising my hand and asking him permission to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, still calling him Mr. So-and-so, you know, I'm not, we're not on like a first name basis. Right. And so like, there was just like this, this level of authority issue. So like, I didn't really feel like his equal at the time. And so like, I, I guess I knew that I had the decision, but like, it didn't really feel like it. And like, he had already said, like, you need to take, we need to take care of it. So I was like, well, I guess we're, we're doing that. Like it, it just like, there was a, a power dynamic that's really hard to describe that I really just didn't feel like I had an equal say. Um, so we had, so basically we ended up, um, skipping school, both of us together and him taking me over to the clinic and a lot and constructing this whole elaborate plan to like get away with going to the clinic and having no one find out. Um, so that's, that's the decision that was made. So your parents never knew anything about it? Not at the time. No, they, they know now, but it, we had this whole, this whole plan, like, my, my parents were going to drop me off at school, and before I walked in the front doors, I was going to slip around the back. He had called in a substitute teacher for that day, and then he, you know, I got in his car, and I ducked down so no one would see me, and we drove off to the clinic. And then I told my parents I was going to spend the night at a friend's house and really spent the night at his house after the procedure. And, like, this whole lab, like, I was just forced to, like, keep lying and lying and lying, and which I hate do I hated. Like, I was always such, like, an honest kid, like, but, like being forced in this position to like cover up everything and lie. And I hated it. Um, so yeah, like that, the, the abortion was on March four of that same year. And like, if the guilt of like crossing the virginity line was bad, like the guilt from like having the abortion when I knew it was wrong was like 1200 times worse because now I felt like I had just compromised all of my values that I ever believed in. And I didn't know who I was. And I like, I felt like the word like murderer was like written across my forehead and I felt like everyone could see it. And I just felt like a complete fraud. And I was like, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And it was just a really rough time. Where was, uh, was God in your mind? At, I know that you had guilt because of God in some place, but was he a person that, like, was he just like, I'm disappointed in you, Grace? Like, where was he? Oh, yeah. That's where he was? That was the the exact words I actually was going to use. Like, I felt like God was disappointed in me. And, like, he had wanted nothing to do with me anymore because I had let him down and, like, I had failed to be a good Christian, you know, quote, quote. Um, And so, like, my relationship with God was still very important to me, but I just felt like there was this wall now where I couldn't reach him because I had done all this stuff. So did the relationship change after this? Does it move forward? (laughs) Like, how did that affect the relationship with this is such a strange um yeah it was very weird um they should make a movie about this um so they shouldn't yeah so i (laughs) so sad as a tearjerker i know (gasps) yeah so i thought that like i was doing this to secure our future you know he promised me that if he promised me that if i were to do this for him like you know take care of the baby, so to speak, that he would make it up to me when we were married and he'd give me all the babies I want to make up for it. Right. So I was like, he said, he told that to me and I was like, okay, well, you know, we can have more babies, whatever. But after the, after the abortion, like are the relationship just changed. Right. So like my teacher, 
uh, started asking me about why I missed school that day and I needed to have like a parent's excuse note as to why I was absent. And so I had to like forge a parent note saying that I was sick or whatever and this whole thing. And I was just like, just strung out, like constantly freaked out, like I was going to get caught. And there was just a lot of suspicion going on, like lots of teachers kind of whispering about like me because like I had just changed a lot this year because I was very distracted, very like like crying a lot in class and like you know just acting different and weird because like I've always been like the good student like you know getting good grades all these sorts of things and so there was a lot of whisperings going on and like you know people a couple teachers noticed that like he was gone the same day I was gone so there was just kind of rumors floating and so Mr. Teacher Man was like look like there's too much suspicion right now we got to like shut things down right so basically essentially like broke things off with me which like made it so much worse because I felt like I had now done everything for nothing, right? So, like, for the rest of that year, like, you know, we kind of laid low and, like, I just felt like I had compromised on everything that was important to me for this man and, like, sacrificed everything on the altar of the relationship to lose everything. Like, like, I felt like I had lost my connection to God. I felt like I had lost, you know, my virginity, like, my my morals, and I was just, like, just a wreck and a disaster. Um, So then, you know, I graduated. I'm like, I'm I'm amazed that you graduated. Like, I'm thinking, like, how could you concentrate (laughs) on physics or or chemistry when you're, when all this is happening was, like, can you even remember how you were even able to focus on any of this? Or were, like, is that just by the grace of God you got through? Yeah, no, it was by the grace of God. Like, it was crazy because, like, I was not studying. Like, I was just, like depressed like literally I would just lay in bed and stare at the ceiling for hours because I was just so depressed like couldn't eat couldn't sleep like just crying all the time and like by the grace of God like I still managed to get like straight A's and I was like how like how though like and like that was like one of the very first like kind of indicators that like God was still for me you know like that God still was there because I remember like taking a test that I had not studied for and like I had I looked at the questions and like I don't even know like I don't know any of this and I just kind of like circled whatever like multiple choice I was like I don't even know and still ended up getting an A on the test and then just kind of like breaking down because I felt like God telling me is like I have not abandoned you and like I still love you but like I wasn't like I didn't really believe it and I couldn't really receive it but like that was like one of the first indicators that like God hadn't like abandoned me because like I still managed to get like really good grades um not in my own power at all because I was like a, a disaster. Yeah, so graduation comes around and you have this plan or you thought you had a plan, but by this time has it fizzled out and there's, there's, what is the plan now? Well, I thought the plan was that we were going to get married, um, but that didn't happen. Instead, I found out through another teacher who just mentioned it in passing that uh, my teacher, my, my Mr. Teacher Man was getting married. And I was like, that's weird. I didn't know, like, we had decided to get married. Like, I mean, I knew we were going to get married, but I was like, he hasn't talked to me about this. Right. And then then I found out that he was marrying like someone else and that they had a baby on the way. And that just like absolutely shattered my heart. Cause I was like, Oh, so he wanted to keep her baby, but not mine. And like, yeah, my world just like fell apart at that point. And I was like, okay, I need to get out of the state. So I had originally planned to go to college, like, in town, but I was like, I need to get away. And so that's what led me to, to go to Southern in Tennessee, was to escape. I'm so sad. Um, I don't want to keep saying I'm sad, because I know that there's so much life <laughs> coming up. But I can't. 
I can't. I, I, I'm just thinking like this young girl just. I know you just said it just like, yeah, my heart was shattered into a million pieces. And I'm, I don't I don't think I need you to go back to that place and be like, like, how shattered was it? But I just. um, I, <laughs> But how shattered? Yeah. <laughs> Were you just completely tore up and broken into a million? But. I can't imagine what that did to what you believed about yourself and what you believed about the rest of your life. Yeah, it wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) I had no concept of value or worth whatsoever anymore. I was like, well, I've, you know, I thought I was going to marry a nice Christian man, but you know, obviously there's no Christian man that's ever going to want me. Right. Like I'm not pure. I've done all these things. Like, you know, and especially being at Southern, it didn't really help situations much because now I'm surrounded by all these Christian girls, right? As opposed to like before I was surrounded by like worldly heathen public school girls, you know, so I felt like morally superior in a way. Mm-hmm. But like now I'm at Southern and I know what I've done and I know who like all the mistakes that I've made. And now I'm surrounded by all these Southern Christian girls that like are wearing like floor length skirts and, you know, look like little replicas of Ellen White. And I'm feeling like super condemned just in their presence. Right. And I'm just like, those are the type of girls that these nice Christian men, Christian men are going to want to marry. No one's going to ever want to marry me. So then, you know, that put me in this spiral of like, well, I don't deserve a good man. So subconsciously I just started like, whenever I would start dating, like it would always be like these, you know, guys that were not the greatest, like kind of like, you know, I don't want to say anything bad, but like guys that were trash, you know, like the guys, guys that were after the, after certain things. Yeah. Certain, there are certain things that we will yeah. say. <laughs> so, so you get to Southern, did you think like there'll be answers here? Like, were you like, okay, I can turn my life around here. There seems to be a lot of spirituality here. Like would did that attract you? Yeah. So I, you know, I went back to my performance hat and I was like, okay, well, you know, if I can like, you know, pick myself back up together and like, you know, start being pure again. And maybe if I don't kiss a boy for a year, then I'll be like pure enough and I won't feel as bad. And then maybe now I can like feel connected to God and that he's not disappointed in me. And then maybe I can prove that I'm pure again and maybe a guy will love me. But like, it was really hard to do that because like you can't act in a way that you don't believe that you are. So like, if I believe I'm a failure, it's I'm just going to keep failing, right? But if I be- if I believe I'm I'm not pure, it's going to be really hard to act in a pure way. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it was like I had this mentality of, of I'm impure, I'm dirty, I'm not valuable. So like, but trying to act the opposite. And it's like you can't do that. Like how you believe about yourself is what you're going to manifest in your reality. But I didn't know that at the time. I was just trying to like through willpower and striving like achieve my own purity and achieve my own value. So and so then when guys come into the situation, you're just like, hey, like, this is kind of who I am already. Hey. Like, <laughs> like, this is who I am already. Um, there's no going back. Or or was there still like a struggle there? where like, I, I was trying to make it a year without kissing someone. Like how? Yeah, no, I never like threw myself into well. I'm just gonna do this. Like I, I tried to at some like a couple times. I tried to like just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna do whatever I want, sleep around because it doesn't matter. It's not like I'm a virgin anyways. But like something always held me back. Like I could never like fully do that because I still really cared about purity and I still really wanted to be pure. Um, and I thought in my mind, well, if I can just do whatever and not care, then it then I can stop feeling guilty. You know, I I 
you know, it's kind of like, well, if I just didn't care, then I could just go do whatever I want and not feel bad. Um, but I could never like actually do that because I just really, really cared. Like, even though I just like, I didn't understand that I was trying to like achieve my own righteousness and that that wasn't possible. Like, I always thought that like, you know, I had to, in a sense, earn it. And like, and that was my way of thanking God for everything that he had done for me. Um, and it was very exhausting because there was a like, constant tension, like, you know, like the devil would tempt me being like, you know what, like, go ahead and do it. Like you're dirty anyways. It doesn't matter. But then part of me would be like, oh, but no, like, I don't want to do this. this. I don't, I hate this. Like it always makes me feel bad. Like, so it was just constant, constant tension, constant pulling me in like zillion directions. And it just was a very miserable time to be honest. Had you even be like the healing from this thing in high school? Is this something that you were even considering? Like, yo, I need to heal from this thing. I maybe need to talk about it to somebody. I maybe need to, like, or was that just, like, pushed way down and you're like, ah, I'm just going to try to forget that whole thing? Um, I carried a lot of shame about it, you know, and especially, like, it's it's kind of like a taboo. Abortion is a taboo subject to talk about, like, in general, but like, especially at a Christian college where it's like super stigma. Right. And I, like I carried so much shame about it. And I was like, I didn't, I couldn't even like say the word abortion. Like I literally couldn't, like I was physically incapable of saying the word because that's how bad I felt about it. Like I was like, I didn't want anyone to know because I wanted everyone to view me as like the innocent girl, like the pure girl. And so like, I tried to cast that persona. And so like, I didn't want anyone to know the truth. Right. So I didn't want to talk about it. Um, I didn't really, have anyone I felt like I really could talk about it in the beginning. Um, so I was just carrying this around, like carrying all these secrets, hoping to not be found out while still trying to like find a boyfriend who's going to love me and make me feel valuable. Um, and like getting caught in like the, the compromising situations again, over and over and over. So it's a fun time. It's good times. <laughs> all right. So, uh, what, what, what were you studying? What were you going to, what was your major? Um, well, I started as other things, but I ended up graduating with nursing. Okay. So as you're going through um, Southern and relationships and all this stuff, um, yeah, what was your journey? Talk to me about how God was changing or not changing during this time. So I feel like my healing from all this came in two stages. Um, the first stage was kind of just the healing of the trauma that I had gone through. And the second stage happened much later, about just two years ago, where I finally felt like I understood what the gospel actually meant. Right. So the first stage of healing, um, I was still at Southern. I had finally um, started confiding in um, this one this one kind of mentor person, this um, chaplain um, and kind of, I finally like told them my story and like started meeting with them weekly to kind of talk about it. Um, and they had signed me up to go to this, um, this retreat. Uh, it's called Rachel's Vineyard. It's actually a Catholic organization, which was funny because I was like, is it okay for an Adventist chaplain to sign me up for something Catholic? But, <laughs> yeah. but it was like, they, they were like the only ones who really had something like this. So it's this place called Rachel's Vineyard, which is a, like a retreat for women that have had an abortion to like go through like this healing journey. And I didn't want to go because I was like, I'm going to have to talk about this with strangers and I don't want to do that. And also I was like, I can't afford this. It's expensive. And so there was an anonymous donor that like paid for my way to go. And 
then I kind of like, well, I don't really have an excuse why I can't go now. Mm -hmm. So then I went and it was like very reserved and shut off in the beginning. But then I saw like all these women there that had gone through the exact same thing. And there was women that were like in their forties and fifties still wrestling with this. And that was a big wake up call to me. I was like, I don't want to be 50 years old, still torn up about this. Right. And there was even some girls there that were atheist and like that were lesbian. And I realized I'm like, you know what? Like, you know, like knowing that abortion is wrong is not a Christian thing, right? Like these girls, some of these girls like don't believe in God at all, but they still know like something deep down was broken when they did this. And so like, it just confirmed to me like, wow, like we all inherently know that there's like something is wrong, like when you abort your child. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like that spoke to me a lot as well. Cause a lot of people think that, you know, abortion is just a Christian issue. I'm like, no, it's a human issue. Right. And so I went there and like everyone shared their stories. And when it came time for me to share my story, like I finally like opened up and just said everything. And like the, the support that I received was really helpful because like women that like understood and like, mm. you know, and they, they took us through like this whole closure, which is really amazing. They, um, we had like a memorial service for the child where we like have like a funeral and like give it a name and like this whole thing kind of brought closure which was really helpful because they explained that like women that like that lose a baby like in a miscarriage or like the death of a child like they have support from the community to be like oh we're so sorry this happened you know but like with an abortion it's like well you chose this right like your your baby died because you chose this so it was your fault so you don't really feel like you deserve to grieve and you don't really feel like you deserve the community support so it's like this silent grieving right so like being there was really was really helpful and so that healed a big part in me of like just healing of the trauma and i kind of had my my revelation there that like god wasn't mad at me right like he had um, led me through the story of abraham and isaac when when god had like, asked abraham to sacrifice his son isaac Right. And like, I took it in a a different way than the traditional way. And so like, I was reading that story and God was like, Grace, like, are you willing to like sacrifice or let go of your child that you're hanging on to? Right. Mm. Like, and then I was like, it was really hard. He's like, if, if you can let go and like, let go of the child that you're holding on to, like in your heart, like I will provide like the ram, like I will provide the answer, the healing. And so like, it just kind of finally broke me realizing that God wasn't actually mad at me, that he wanted to take this burden away. And so like, when I left the retreat, I felt like I was so light, you know, like I literally felt like this huge, like weighted vest was pulled off Mm. of me because I realized like God forgave me for this, even though I felt like it was like unforgivable. And I felt like this new lightness. I was like, oh, wow, like God forgives me. Like he's not mad at me. So that kind of restored my relationship with him. Um, and I actually came back to Southern, like, and was invited to share my story um, for student week of prayer. Oh, wow. And so I did that. And that was really healing for me because I was like, terrified. It was the first time I had really talked about it in p- such a huge public space. Right. And just like, I could just see like the transformation that had happened to me already from like not being able to talk about it at all. to now suddenly like speaking to thousands of people on stage, like, on live stream, right. About this. And so like, that was a, that was like the first major milestone in my healing for this was just like the feeling of actually being forgiven and taking that burden away and restoring like my connection with, with God. What was the response of the student body and and the people that had known you that didn't know this about you after hearing this? Yeah. So I was super, super nervous. Like I was so nervous that like, I could not eat like at all, like the, like the week up until like me speaking and sharing. Cause I, I, I just felt like convinced that people were going to like respond badly and like, look at me different and like, you know, treat me weird or whatever. Cause 
you know, abortion is a hot topic, you know, and be like, oh, well, Grace, you did that. Like, but I was actually like very surprised at like the reception of everyone. Like, like everyone stood up and like clapped and I had people coming up to me afterwards, like hugging me and then like breaking down and telling me their own stories, you know, like it was really emotional because like, I didn't know that other people were like struggling too. Like I had convinced myself that I was the only one that was going through all of this. Right. Which is one of the devil's tactics to get us to isolate ourselves, to convince us that like, we're the only ones going through this, which is a lie. Right. So girls are coming up to me telling me their stories and like, like realizing like my, my healing can be like a springboard for others healing. Right. And like, that was like, that blew my mind. Like, like it's not about protecting my story and keeping it secret to like, you know, because I'm ashamed, but like I should be open about it because others will hear it and then like get their healing as well. So that was really awesome. Um, and that was really healing too, to see people's um, response and not reject me. But like, you know, it was funny because people come up to me and tell me like they had no idea like that I was going through that. Like Grace, you hit it so well. I would never have guessed. Um, so yeah. What, what year of college was this? Was this one of your last year? <sighs> I, yeah, I think I think it was my last year. Um, I think so. How would you say that your life was going at that point then, as you're kind of being released from this trauma and receiving like some healing in that? How would you say the rest of your life like did that whole thing with the did it change some relationships? Did, did were you starting to live in a, in a healthier way and a healthier view of of yourself? Um, so it definitely was better than it was before, um, but still wasn't like great. Um, it still wasn't like at the level that I'm I'm I am now because um, I still didn't really understand the gospel at this point. So I believed at that time, like, oh man, I'm forgiven, I my slate is clean. Um, so now I just got to be really careful not to mess up like that again. <laughs> so right back to like works, right? Like I'm like, I'm pure now. God looks at me as, you know, so like I got to like be careful not to end up in a situation like this again, you know, cause I still didn't understand that like my righteousness came from Jesus and not from myself. So like, I'm still trying to like, I'm still trying to like be careful in my relationships with guys and like still, so it, it, it was definitely better. I wasn't living in so much like, I wasn't like crying all the time and like depressed all the time. Like that had definitely improved, but I still didn't understand like what the gospel actually was. So you get out of college, you're, you've got a nursing degree and your plan was to just get a job, live your life, be a nurse, yep. find somebody. What, what, how did it go? What, what happened yeah, after that? I mean, you know, t- you know, typical American dream. I'm going to get a job, get a husband and have a white picket fence and have point, you know, 2.5 children. Um, you know, and things were things were going fine. Like I was working, and um, I was still working on the whole like finding a, a suitable male part. <laughs> and I, I've had some uh, questionable relationships um, since my, you know, since my my healing at that retreat. Um, I mean, things were going fine. I just how did it? Like I still just how did you bring up that topic, or did you even bring it up? Like if you if this was someone who had gone to Southern with you and you're now graduated. Would you assume, Oh, they probably know my story because I told it at student week of prayer. Or if it wasn't someone from Southern and you're interested in dating someone where you're like, do I have to share this thing with them? Do I want to like, 
how did you navigate that? Yeah, that was challenging um, because like, when do you share something like that? Like first date, like, oh, by the way, um, I lost my virginity to my teacher and had an abortion. Like, you still want to go out with me? Like, you know, like, it's like, when do you like bring that up? But like, but you also don't want to wait too long to like, after like, you've been dating for like five years and then like, oh, by the way, you know, so like, that was always a question. Like, when do I talk about this? You know, so sorry, my phone. You're good. sorry let me just start that over um no yeah, i think so you explained it a question, like... so so then okay. now like real life and real relationships and stuff is not it's not disney anymore there's real life to it what were you now looking for what was what was like the important values that you held that you're like I need this in somebody or I need that in somebody. Like what was your mindset about the whole dating and getting married thing as it's changed through the last five years? Um, well, I was looking for someone that obviously was a uh, Christian serious about their spirituality. Um, uh, someone that would like be able to hear my story and not freak out, not run away. Someone that wouldn't look at me like I was dirty. Um, I was still putting way too much pressure on a man to give me my sense of value. Um, I still was very much like looking for my sense of worth and validation from a romantic relationship. Um, And that was something like I didn't understand that was unhealthy. Um, You know, we all have our individual thing that we go to for our sense of worth. Like, you know, some people go to their career, some people go to money, some people go to status. I definitely want to like romantic relationships as my sense of value and worth. Um, I mean, so that's what I was looking for. I really wanted someone who like would understand me and like accept my story and, you know, care about purity and that sort of thing. So were you able to find that sort of thing or were you just continuing to look and look? Uh, no, I mean, I did not because, you know, you can't, you tend to attract, um, you tend to attract like the love that you think you deserve you know, and that's the love that we tend to accept. And because I had this void in myself still of like, where does my worth come from? You know, I was trying to fill it with my own performance and also like the love and acceptance of a man. Like I kind of had this like vacuum of like a worth hole kind of inside. And so, you know, people, people can sense that. And like, you know, so I was still not really like attracting the best, the best kinds. Um, and so, like, I was still trying to, like, fill it with performance and everything like that. So I, I didn't really understand that I wasn't living in the fullness of abundant life and the fullness of what God what God purchased for me because I just didn't understand what the gospel actually was. So then what happened next? Keep telling me. I'm interested. Well, then I met this man. I don't know if you know him. Um, his name is Jonathan Leonardo. Um went to camp y and i what took you to camp y and i he was um well i my my really close friend is brandy um brandy kirstein and she lives there and we used to be really close friends when she lived in tennessee and then she moved out to hawaii and she's like hey you should come visit came to visit her and met a bunch of her friends and that's when i met eric 
from camp and then they're like oh hey we're looking for a camp nurse and I was like "Ooh, I'm a nurse and so they hired me to be their camp nurse um and so I came out to camp and I met Jonathan and like he started talking about all these interesting theological ideas that I had never heard before so so this is uh <laughs> we we talked a little bit about this at the bible study that you that you the death to life bible study at Tuesdays at 1:30 central um, when you nice were plug. sharing, yeah, thanks. And I remember the first time I had seen you was on a video and I don't, maybe it was on Facebook or something and it's Jonathan and he's wearing a black shirt. I remember this and he's sitting in somebody's house and you're sitting on the floor and you're listening and he's breaking down some theological concept and you're, I just, I don't remember anybody else in the video except for you and you're having, and you're you're struggling, like you are questioning, and I don't know, man. We need more of these videos where people are sitting here just like, but you're struggling and you're questioning, and I don't know if that's like this first time that you're hearing some of this, or when was the first time, but it was obviously something that you were, like, so so tell me, like, what is like one of the first things that you heard, or like the first time, like you're having like this conversation this that you're just like wait hold up bro like what are you saying like when was that and what was it about if you can remember yeah no i remember um so i have this friend um and the very first time i ever heard anything about this stuff was he was telling me how he doesn't identify as a sinner and i was like um, bro, have you read the Bible? Like, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Those who claim to be without sin are a liar. So, like, what is this? And he was non-denominational, so I was like, okay, he's just got some weird theology, right? I can just, like, brush that off. And I was like, whatever. But, um, like, he was a really good friend of mine, and, like, he kept sharing, like, his stories about how he got set free from porn and set free from masturbation and set free from this and set free from that. And I'm just, like, listening to him, I'm like, what in the world? Like, how though? Because, like, I've tried, like, my entire life to be set free from various things. And, like, it's never worked through my own willpower. And, like, you know, it lasts for a while. Like, your willpower is good for a short time. But then you, like, stumble into it again. And you, like, be like, oh, woe is me. Like, you're stuck in the shame cycle, right? So it's like, I'm listening to him. And, like, he's the most joyful person I've ever met in my life. Like, he's, like, just so encouraging all the time. And, like, I'm just like, Okay, like you're not like most Christians I know. Like, what is this? So, like, I was. It's not fair that you're like like, this, and I am the same thing that you are, but I'm not experiencing what you're experiencing. Right. I'm like, what the heck? How does this non-denominational Christian, who's clearly not as morally superior as Adventists, right? Like, how is he living this way? He doesn't even have the truth of the Sabbath. (laughs) I know. It's like you don't even believe in the state of the dead. Like, come on. (laughs) So, like, I was like drawn in by his changed life rather than like him spewing his weird doctrine right and so like i decided because i was a good little evangelist witness and i was like we're gonna do bible studies together and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna fix him right Mm. so we started like reading the bible together and he had introduced me to dan moeller and some other speakers um and like this is the first time i ever heard anything about this and i was like okay this is interesting but i don't know right like they're saying that we can be set free from sin and i'm like no, we're always going to be sinners because we live in an imperfect world and we're never going to be perfect till we get to heaven, obviously, right? Mm. So that, that was my mentality. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know who this Dan Moeller is. Like, he's not Adventist, so, like, I don't have to listen to him. So 
then when I heard Jonathan Leonardo talking about it, I was like, hold, hold on. Like, this is an Adventist guy, though. So, like, I, like, I can listen because I know he's not crazy. <laughs> and I know that he knows what Sabbath is and, like, you know, all these different things. It's kind of sad, but, like, that, that was where I was at. And so Jonathan is talking about it. And I'm like, man, this is the same thing I heard my friend talking about. I'm like, what the heck? Why have I never heard this before? So I was struggling with it because it was, like, clashing with my worldview of that, like, you know, I'm never going to be set free from sin until heaven, right? And he's, like, saying, no, like, you can, you're can, you set free from sin now. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, so I was, I was struggling with, with that concept. So just randomly, like, the first thing is, is freedom from sin. That's the first thing that Jonathan brings up. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. Freedom from sin. I just spent, like, the last three weeks talking with somebody on freedom from sin. And, like, the first time I presented it, they're just, like, triggered. But then they just kept calling me. And I'm like, bro, you don't, don't worry about this, man. Like, this may not be for you. And they're like, no. And, like, this freedom from sin thing, it's a trip. Like, it trips people out. Um, and it's almost like we're arguing against it. But hopefully we want it to be true. I don't even know. Like, I can't even remember what I would, what I thought about it. But um, now I can remember it. I mean, I told my story in here, but uh, so he's saying this. You don't write Jonathan off because he's an Adventist. You give him a little bit of <laughs> grace. You're just like, oh, he knows about the state of the dead and the Sabbath. And he's saying this. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's I mean it's so, it's our it's how we live. It's our worldview what you just said. Like uh, our worldview is terrible. if it ain't adventist. Like we look at Billy Graham and we're like mm. we look at all these people, Tony <laughs> Campolo, mm, whatever, bro. Uh we, and we judge them by, you know, all of this this weird stuff. So he said it, how much of it were you like were you like, so you're saying there's a chance, like you're giving it a little bit of a chance? Well, yeah. So like, you know, a foundation kind of had already kind of been set with my friend because I couldn't, I couldn't deny his life, right? Like you can argue, argue theology all day, but like you can't argue with a changed life like that. That's just, you can't argue with that. And so like, I kind of already had like a sort of an idea, but like, and he's explaining it. And, like, I know that I can, you know, quote, trust him more because, like, he's an Adventist as well. And so I'm listening and I'm like, like, I had just no concept of, like, we can be free from sin now. Because my whole idea of the gospel is that, like, you know, we're kind of in this world as, like, the waiting room, right? So we just got to, like, chill here and, like, not mess up too bad and try to win as many souls because we're good Christians till we go to heaven and then things are going to be great, right? And he's like pointing to all these scriptures saying that like you have been set free from sin like it is no longer you who live uh, but Christ in you like you have been crucified like Christ has been crucified and he became sin for us all these things like you're a new creation like the old things are gone the new has come and I'm just like this isn't the this has been in the bible the whole time and like somehow I missed it <laughs> right and I was just like how is this possible? So I was like, so you're saying that I've been making death my savior instead of Jesus. Because if my hope is in that, like, things will get great when I die and go to heaven, then I'm making, like, death my savior instead of Jesus. And that was, like, kind of a mind-blowing moment. I was like, oh, shoot. And then, like, yeah, it was just, it was just crazy. And I was just, like, like, real, having this, like, mind-blowing moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, this has been in the Bible 
this whole time. I actually started to get mad, actually, because I was like, so you're telling me that this has been here this whole time, and I've read the Bible front to back, you know, as a good little Christian, and I've never seen it. And, you know, that just goes to show, like, the power of the filter that you have, because, like, you can see truth right in front of you, but then not see it because of, like, the blinders that you have on, you know? Like, it was like scales were falling off my eyes, and I was seeing the words for what they actually mean for the first time. And one of the the verses that I, I um, reference a lot that, like, is a perfect example of this is the verse in Galatians 5 where it talks about, like, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians With five sixteen. my old 16, mindset, yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. So, like, my old mindset was like, okay, like, you know, I'm a Christian. Like, I can't gratify the desires of the flesh. And if I do... That means that I'm not walking in the spirit. Am I even saved? Am I even going to heaven? Like, am I even forgiven? I don't know, right? Like this whole spirally, like, oh, like I just sinned. Like, oh my gosh, right? Like, well, with a new mindset of like, I was like, oh, wait, like this isn't like you better not gratify those desires of the flesh or else you're not walking the spirit. It was more like a promise. It's like, hey, like if you just walk with the spirit, like you just naturally won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Like, it's not like a command. It's a promise. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I've just been reading the Bible wrong my entire life. Yeah, it's so much better than how we were reading it. It's actually good news. <laughs> um, instead of like, what I believe before, which is actually terrible news. It's like, oh, now that you've been forgiven, try not to mess up ever again. It's like, but I'm still a sinner and I'm, you know, destined to sin. So how am I supposed to live in a sinful world if I'm a sinner and not sin? Like, that's like, it's like telling a pig to fly. Like, you can't. Like, right? So it's like, I believe I'm a sinner, but I'm expected to not sin. So it's like, how do you do that? Like, you're already defeated before you begin. And that's not good news. That's like terrible news. There was a lot you know? of contradictions in that thing, right? Like, it's telling us to do <laughs> this, but then it's also telling us that we can't do it. And you're yeah. just like, what do you want from me? And then you just resign yeah. yourself to like, well, I guess I'm just going to live beat up. And then God's just going to see me and be like, well, you really gave it a, a shot. And that's why you're in, my man. <laughs> like, you really gave it a shot. Uh, like, like this news yeah, and it, and it messes not with great, your, right? Yeah, it messes with your view of God, right? Because, like, if he's expecting you to, like, perform well, but you're, like, handicapped, it's like, well, God, like, how you can expect me to, like, run the race with, like, a broken leg? You know, and it's like it messes with your image of God because like he's like, you know, expecting you to do all this stuff that you can't. So it's like you constantly feel like you're letting him down. And so you can't have a relationship that's healthy with someone like that, you know. So like it was just, yeah. Yet God's expectation is on himself to finish it and to do it and live in us. And yeah, like you're saying, it's better news. So you're there that summer. You were there the whole summer as the nurse. Well, this was also COVID year, so, like, there was actually no children, so it was just the staff, um, like... This was last summer? Having... Yeah. So, okay. you know, this was um, just the staff and Jonathan, like, having worships, like, for hours, so, which was actually really great, because I feel like if the kids... Not that I don't love the kids, I love the kids, but if the kids were there, I don't feel like it would have been the same, like, level of depth, so um, it was really powerful. That's... And so now you're you're correct cuz I remember um after seeing this you what happened to you is the same thing that like what happened to me it's like we're like yo this is dope and 
not like everybody needs to know about this and the time frame that they need to know about this is right now like yesterday. yes and so i remember um this is when i started my job at amazon i worked at amazon last year i started a year ago and i worked at the night shift um and i remember walking to where where my post was where and i'm looking at my phone and i'm reading facebook and i'm reading these conversations that you're having with people uh from <laughs> your past that you've known from your past and it it's like a melee it's like people are triggered and i'm reading it and i'm like oh i I hope she knows what she's doing. I hope she knows what she's getting into. And like you would say something and there's like nine people that are like, nah, bro, that ain't it. And so I would try my hardest to be like, to like what you said and to throw a comment in every once in a while, knowing good and well that I don't want to get into some theological conversation on Facebook because I know that that's never going to change. Uh, actually, we do have some stories of, of recently how like a comment here there actually has been a blessing to people but i'm seeing this and i'm like oh and i think i messaged you something like hey be careful girl like don't you know if they're not receiving this or if they're not receiving that because obviously i had <laughs> lost my job over you know talking about stuff and um so how did you navigate that whole thing and it it, it was it meant something to me because I'm literally working at an Amazon warehouse because of, you know, talking about this thing in a way that made people uncomfortable. And I'm seeing you and I'm like, well, she doesn't work. She doesn't work for the church. So maybe she's okay. But um, how did you navigate that whole thing? Um, I mean, I pretty much, I expected that kind of response, honestly. Like, I purposely posted that stuff to stir the pot. Um, like, I was like, let me stir it up a little bit. It needs to be, it needs to be shaken up. Because, I mean, most of my friends that are Christian are Adventist, right? So I know they have to make the same mentality that I did, right? right? Like, I just know. And so, and I like, no, but I had never heard this stuff before. Like, you know, that, that Jonathan was sharing. So I was like, they probably never heard it before either. So let me just like put it out there and like, you know, it, it, at the very least, it's going to force people to think, right? Like, you know, and so like, I didn't, and honestly, it was honestly like so nice to feel set free from caring that people were mad at me or upset with me or just didn't agree because that sort of thing would bother me a lot before because I was putting so much like stock and value in like other people's perception of me, you know, but then like when I like actually understood the gospel and like know and knew that like Christ was in me. I'm a new creation. My value comes from him. I'm completely pure already. Like I don't need everyone else to like me or agree. Like it didn't bother me that people were like all angry and upset and like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, like I don't feel this way. And it was like pretty awesome to like feel set free from that. Um, and also I'm just like, a lot of people, a lot of people were mad and disagreed with it, but there were several people that like would message me privately and be like, Hey, like, what are you talking about? Like, and like being able to share my story with them and like see a lot of fruit from it, you know, mm -hmm. like it was actually really exciting to be like, again, like my healing can be a springboard for someone else's. Um, I feel like I, I skipped started, a huge I step. Hold on before we we'll go back to that. I feel like I skipped a huge step and that is the, the life part. Like, when did you believe this thing and you're like, 
oh yeah, this is me. And what did that do? Like when you're finally like, oh yeah, this is me. And that what did that do to like the old grace? Like when when did the old grace is dead? Like tell me about that. Um, I don't have like a specific date for you. Um, but like there was just one point, like I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna read the Bible again because like clearly I read it wrong the first time. So I just I just read the the New Testament, um, just like the uh the epistles like Romans mm-hmm. through. Yeah. So I reading those and I'm like I'm like, okay, I'm gonna figure this out. Like who's right? Is is am I right or are they right? Right? And I'm reading these things and I'm like I'm halfway through like Galatians or something, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like light bulbs just started going off as like these verses are jumping off the page that I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're not crazy. Like this is real. Like, and then like, just like this light bulb moment, it just felt like the light switch like flipped on. Right. It literally just like, was like a a change from one filter to the next. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is true. And like, if this is true, then like everything I was doing before is just like not true and not and nonsense. Right. Like, and so like, I, it just took off the pressure of performance. It took off like this whole notion that like, you know, my purity comes from like me somehow that like, you know, my, yeah, my purity meter is, is determined about how long it's been since I've like kissed a boy or whatever, which is random and arbitrary anyways. But like, you know, realize like, no, like, like I am a new creation, like new means new, right? It doesn't mean like just, you know, wiped off version of the old one right like it's it's new and like that like jesus like the holy spirit lives in me right and it's like this whole thing i'm like wow like this 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 means a lot like you know so it was just kind of like a light bulb moment and like things that just used to eat my lunch like stopped like i just kind of like stopped feeling so much pressure and desire to like get into a relationship like because that would be like my mind my main focus like for pretty much most of my life was like i'm on a boyfriend i want a boyfriend right and so like i was just like eh, i mean cool but like i don't need that now mm. right because like i know that god loves me like my love tank so to speak was filled up with him mm. right knowing that like he's like he's nuts about me he's not disappointed like 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 we are connected like we have union and we have intimacy like all this stuff like i stopped feeling like i needed a boyfriend to feel that um you know like just so many things like i stopped feeling like the pressure of like performance like you know especially like in nursing which is like a very like rigorous job like always feeling pressured to like do everything right and be the smartest and get all these certifications like stop feeling so much pressure about that and like just so much changed like it was just amazing like and just one of those like i said was just stop not caring so much about what people thought about me on facebook and it seemed like this happened very quickly yeah, I did. It was kind of like, well, the light switch was off and now it's on. <laughs> and the on is God loves me. It's like, oh, I'm different. So when you considered everything that happened from your past and in, in this new light of the finished work of Jesus, what was different about how you, what you considered about the past? You would receive this healing from this, this Rachel's uh, vineyard thing. But now in the new light of the finished work, did it look differently from that view as well? Yeah. So like there's two parts of the gospel. There's forgiveness and transformation. But like the only concept I had in the past was just forgiveness, right? Like 
You mess up, God forgives you. You mess up, God forgives you. You mess up, God forgives you. But you're still the same, right? Like you haven't changed. You're still a sinner. Like you're still expected to run the race with a broken leg, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? So like you're destined to keep messing up and destined to just keep getting forgiven, right? But like I completely missed the concept of transformation, right? But like with transformation, it's not just forgiveness, but it's like, okay, we're going to transform you from what you were to something new. So you're not a sinner anymore. You're now pure, righteous, holy, without blemish, without without reproach, you know, holy in his sight. So it's like, I'm still supposed to run the race, but now instead of having a broken leg, I now have a, like, a bionic leg, Mm. right? So it's like, grace isn't just forgiveness, but it empowers you to do the very things that you weren't capable of doing before, Mm. right? So, like, grace is not just, like, God being a passive doormat. It's like, okay, it's fine. Whatever you did, I forgive you. It's like, yeah, I forgive you, but now let's fix it. Let's fix the problem, transform you and empower you to like live righteously, right? It's, it's, it gives you the ability to do what you never were able to do before. And like recognizing that, like it takes away your victim mentality. Cause it's like, Oh, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to keep sinning. It's inevitable to like, Oh man, like I'm more than a conqueror. I've been set free from slavery. Like I'm walking in newness and freedom. Like I'm living an abundant life. Like, can I sin? Sure. I can still always choose that, but like, I don't have to, it's not inevitable. You know, so it was like a whole different mindset change. And like how I looked at my my old self, I didn't like, like I don't even, when I tell my story, it's very weird because like, I don't feel like I'm talking about me, right? Because it's so different than who I am now. It feels like I'm talking about someone else. You know, it feels like I'm telling someone else's story. Like when I talk about it, I don't feel pain. Like I don't feel sad. I don't feel like shame. I don't feel any of that because like I've been like, like I'm completely set free from all of that. So it's just like, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's like you're talking about the old grace. And the old yeah, grace is who is dead. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, no, and like It was well, it was a false grace. False grace. Cheap grace? It was a false <laughs> grace. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, and I can tell like when you're telling your story, I'm over here I'm like, "Dang, that's so but you're telling it and it's about somebody you know, God God rest her soul, this old girl who did not know a lot of things, you know, d- yeah. that did not understand um, who she was. And so, um, yeah, you're on Facebook. I don't know how much we want to go into this. Like, you just you just got on fire. Um, and in the last year or so, as what has he been teaching you and growing you in as in this last year? as you've been walking this truth out, do you feel like, like this wasn't just a spiritual high? I don't feel like, I don't feel like you're going back. I feel like you're different now. Yeah. It's funny because I actually, in the beginning was like, okay, how long is this going to last? Because I've been to revivals before and like, you know, the spiritual high lasts for like a couple of weeks and then you go back to your, your rut. So like, I was actually really worried because I was like, oh man, like this is the, the highest spiritual high I've ever had. So like the crash for after this must be really low. So I was actually kind of freaking out. And so I went, I went to my friend, like the one who originally told me about this stuff. And I was like, how long is this going to last? Like, how long can I ride this wave? And he's like, this isn't, this isn't like that. Like, like this is this is permanent now and i was like are you sure and he's like yeah so like a couple months would go by and i still felt the same way and i'm like okay it's still here and like a couple more months would go by and i'm like okay it hasn't gone yet and i was like oh man maybe like maybe this is true like maybe this is just true because you know spiritual highs they're still like for me anyways like when i would feel on a spiritual high i was still relying on like okay like 
I'm going to get up every morning at 5 a.m. and read four chapters of the Bible. I'm going to pray every night. I'm going to tell three people about God every single day. So it's still based on, like, me, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Whereas, like, now it was, like, I'm focusing on Jesus, which, like, isn't going to change. Like, he doesn't have a bad day, right? So, like, one of the things that, like, one of the major things that God's been teaching me this past year is about his goodness. And I know that sounds kind of, like, obvious like yeah god is good all the time all the time god is good like i could tell you that right but like knowing it here in your head and knowing it in your heart are two separate things mm-hmm. so like like you know i had this idea that god was good whatever and that god would work all things for the good of those who love him and like if you know i have a bad day like he'll you know turn it around somehow but like i still had a lot of fear and worry and anxiety about my life in general because i was like you know, I'm a single female trying to take care of myself, like trying to pay all my bills, trying to like, you know, eat three meals a day, get eight hours of sleep, drink enough water, smile, make friends, like do all the things, you know? And so like still kind of scared, like sometimes like, God, like what if your plan for my life is different than my plan for my life? Or like, what if you want this to happen and I want this to happen? And like worrying that like his plan for me isn't going to be what my plan for me is. And just like, kind of having a hard time with like letting go of control and like wanting to like kind of control my own life, if that makes sense. And um, like this whole year, like God's just been showing me like how he's actually like good to me intentionally, like how he's like literally chasing after me, like full steam ahead. He's not just kind of like, you know, chilling up on his throne in heaven and being like, oh yeah, I'm good. I have my positive vibes, but like not actually doing anything, you know, but like he's actually like actively involved and like doing everything he can like for my good right and so like he would show me things like from my past and be like hey remember that like I was I was here I did this like or you remember this when that happened like this is why and this is what I did and like so like like things from my past would come up and like how he was always there and like even in like my present life like I was stressed about like you know paying paying my bills and then like he would have random people like give me money or like things would just work out that like I had been trying to work out my own for like months and like they weren't working. And then like when I finally like gave it up, like he fixed it. And I was just like, wow, like actually, so God, you're actually like, what you're saying is that you're actually good, you know? And like realizing like, wow. And that's like a, that's like a big difference. Like just knowing that someone's like good versus like, they actually really care about you and are like trying to like do good things in your life. So that was like a, a major thing that, um, yeah, that has, he's been teaching me this year. Yeah. Kari, said something this week on on the Bible study, and I'm going to have her on here soon. But she said something that just encouraged me so much this week, and it's kind of the same thing you're talking about, where she said, like, after she received this truth and she's, like, living in it, she said, well, I guess I don't have to worry about finances anymore because of Jesus. And I'm just like, gum, Like, fill in the blank. I guess we don't have to worry about blank anymore because of Jesus. And the blank is literally everything. It's like he if he is actually good, he's got it. And the truth is he is actually good. Uh it's almost like Jesus said do not worry or something in the Bible. He should have written that down cuz then we would really remember it. Like if he if only someone would have documented that but it's funny like we we talk about this and then like we're like yeah yeah jesus loves us and then like a bill comes in the mail and we're just like no he you know like 
when is when is the truth going to transform us? And I'm saying let's let it transform us now and let's like believe that we don't have to worry about our finances. That if he does clothe the sparrows and he cares about them, we're his kids, right? Like he cares much more. It's almost like we're his sons and daughters or something. It's almost. So, hey, as we um as we wrap this up, I usually ask like I take you back to some time and say what you would say to the old grace. But I just kind of want you to like, if someone is listening to this and has had a similar experience to you, whether it's the loss of a child, the, you know, the loss of innocence or, or what have you, like what message would you want them to hear? They've heard this story so far and, and they're listening and there's, but what's the last thing you want to leave them with that, that you want to encourage them with? Um, I think the most important thing is understanding the two halves of the gospel, like not just realizing it's about forgiveness, but also transformation, right? Because someone who's stuck in like a cycle of, you know, shame, depression, guilt, or like impurity, or whatever, like you might know that God forgives you, but you might also feel like, okay, well, I'm going to keep messing up because that's just who I am. Or like, we're stuck here. Sin is inevitable. Right. So that's not really helpful to like, just keep getting forgiven over and over again and feel like you're, you're destined to keep failing. Right. But understanding like, no, the gospel isn't just a band aid. It's like a complete like renovation transformation. Like you're not the same person that you were. So you don't have to feel like, well, I've done this. I'm just destined to keep continuing doing this. Like I'm stuck here until we get to heaven. Right. Like understanding that grace isn't just like a pat on the head, like, oh, okay, it's fine. I'll forgive you. But it's like actually turning you into something new. Right. And like, that's what did it for me realizing that like, I actually can be righteous. Hmm. Right. Because I've been turned into someone righteous. And then me believing that I'm righteous actually is what enables me to be righteous. It's funny because I thought the more guilty and condemned I felt, that was like more evidence of like a good Christian that I am because like I actually really care about my sin and I'm feeling really deeply impacted by the level of how sinful I am. And that just proves that I really love God and I'm a good Christian versus like those other people that sin and don't care. But like feeling guilty and condemned doesn't enable you to live righteous because you don't think you can, right? Like hmm. shame and condemnation is a statement about who you are, right? Like it's like, well, you are terrible. You aren't you are invaluable. You are trash. Like not that you did something wrong, but you are something wrong. Right. So like when you understand transformation, you realize like, no, like those voices of shame and condemnation are wrong. Like hmm. they aren't, they don't have the final say on who you are that I can actually be righteous right now. And I am. And knowing that I'm righteous is what actually helps me to live that way in my life. So that's awesome. That's what did it for The me. two halves of the gospel. I love it. Hey, thanks for coming on and telling this story. And like, like I said, I'm sitting here in my feels like, oh, and you're just like, yeah, I love that. I love that because it's, <laughs> it's real. Like you're, you're, you're real. You're not faking it. I, I and um, I love to see what he's done in your heart and in your life. And I look forward to seeing how 
like your testimony is just going to keep changing lives. So I love it. Thanks so much. with the spirits trying to play with me Stay alive.